Welcome to an all new episode of Close Talking. I am one of your co hosts, Connor McNair Stratton. And I am your other co host, Jack Rossiter Munley. And it is day five of Haiku Week. And super quickly before we get into today's episode on a whole new topic related to haiku, a quick reminder that the best way to help more people find this show is, if you like it, to head over to the iTunes Store or Apple Podcasts as it's now called, and to give us a rating and review. Those ratings and reviews help us out with the iTunes algorithm, and they make us feel real good. We always like to read a new rating and review. So... Now that we have that out of the way, Connor, what have we covered so far with Haiku and where are we going today and tomorrow? Um, We've talked about syllables in Haiku. We've talked about turns in Haiku. We've talked about line breaks in Haiku. We've talked about the history of the form and Ranga. And now our kind of last sort of um, thought about sort of the formal aspects of haiku is the issue of translation, which is the kind of elephant in the room. It's a biggie. It's a biggie, a big elephant. Everyone that we've read has been uh, translated from Japanese. Um, And, you know, with translation, in some ways it's always a, you can't ever quite get what the original is. But, two ways of thinking about translation, um, which if I may be so bold to generalize an entire endeavor, the, um, the often, the, the two problems of a translator, and in some ways the two sides of an argument that translators have been having um, for probably hundreds of years is do you err on the side of fidelity or being literal and true to what the text meant? Or do you err on the side of effect and try to capture what the poem would have felt like um, were it to be in the original language? Um, And I think that that's sort of always been a helpful way for me to think about as I'm as I'm looking at translations. Um, I might have mentioned this in an earlier podcast, but um, one thing that that always helped me think about this uh, is, and this I learned from my professor uh, when I took a translation class, was the the HBO show Deadwood, um, which is a great show, and it takes place in the uh, 1800s lawless town. Um, and it's, you know, depicting this sort of near anarchy state. And, you know, um, the idea is that it, you know, it was like very radically different and would have been offensive to many people. Um, but notably in the show, the language that they use is like very vulgar by contemporary standards. They're saying the F word all the time. They're saying the C word a lot. Um, It's intense, which obviously they wouldn't have been saying in the 1800s. They would have been saying God's name in vain, and they would have been saying tarnation or something. But they made a decision to go for not fidelity, but for effect. So that when, you know, the contemporary viewer is watching the show, we sort of like 
actually kind of get a sense of like what this place might have been like. My favorite uh, statement on that was made by Frank Mankiewicz, the uh, campaign manager for George McGovern, who said of Hunter S. Thompson's uh, Fear and Loathing on the Campaign Trail 72 book, it was the least factual and most accurate description, like re record of the campaign. Uh, <laughs> and I feel like that's kind of what Deadwood gets at. It's the least factual and most accurate representation of just like, it feels like what it was like to be there. Yeah. Exactly. Um, and I think I probably mentioned that before on the podcast. This <laughs> happened last time. <laughs> to kind of get at it, we thought we would go with possibly the most iconic haiku of all time. Iconic? Iconic. Wow. Wow, wow, wow. We're going to leave that there and we're going to forget about it. Possibly this... edit it out. Hell yeah. <laughs> Hell yeah, bud. <laughs> this one is by, as you guessed it, Basho. Um, and it is hard to say because we'll the first one that we give will be just another translation. Um, but here's one translation of it. An old pond, a frog jumps in the water, the sound. And who was and that by? That is actually by my next best friend, Hiroki Sato, uh, in his book on haiku. Um, which notably he translated in one line, very on brand. Very much so. And a strong choice. Um, so here's, here's another one, a different translation of the same poem. So that was an old pond, a frog jumps in the water, the sound. Old pond, frogs jumping in, sound of water. That's by Lafcadio Hearn, and that's three lines. Cool, 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 cool. Okay, here's another one. The old pond, a frog jumps in. Plop. <laughs> and that is by R.H. Blythe. Old Reginald Horace. Old Reginald Horace. Um, here's yet another one. This one, spoiler alert. Four lines. Aye. Whoa. We're off to a shaky start. E. Breaking the silence of an ancient pond, a frog jumped into water, a deep resonance. There's actually one more that I just remembered, and it's the most far out. It's pretty old. I just got to mention it. A lonely pond in age old stillness sleeps apart unstirred by sound or motion till suddenly into it a lithe frog leaps good lord <laughs> uh and um that one what old-timey joker thought that was a good idea yeah that was by curtis hidden page in 1923 he made it into a little bit of a rhyming poem and put it into like English prosody, like a little ballad or something. So we got a bunch of, it's one poem, but we've got like five different sort of things going on. Here's my question. Do they feel like the same poem? So, okay, some do, some feel a little similar, but there's some clear differences. All right, we're going to forget about Curtis Page 
I mean, that's that was a crazy one. I just threw that in there. But the one like the the one that you read, breaking the silence of an ancient pond, a frog jumped into water, a deep resonance. One thing that's that's weird about that, so for one, is the whole thing about a deep resonance that is not in the Japanese at all, right? So that is totally invented by the translator. And I think the idea of it maybe is like something mysterious or mystical is supposed to happen when the frog jumps into the pond. It's a resonance, it's deep or something. So there's an effect that the translator's going for, but it's also more telly. You know, we talk about show, don't tell. That's like just telling you what to think. That's um, exactly what bothers me a little bit about it is it feels like it's just making the subtext text. Yes. Because exactly. like in the, at least for me, in the more, I'm not going to say the original poem, but in most of the translations, that line at the end where it's some version of sound of water or plop, which is kind of a humorous take on it. But that event is event enough in itself for you to make meaning out of. Whereas here it's saying, ah, yes, this sound of water is a deep resonance and please contemplate, you know, it's important. Ooh. All right. <laughs> okay, I get it. So it, it seems to be that the most literal probably is Sato's translation, I think, which is an old pond, a frog jumps in the water, the sound. Um, and I assume that's the most literal because the sound is coming after uh, the water and in English that does sound kind of funny. But one thing that that does have is it, it creates a kind of a moment that's like, it's not jumping into the sound of water, right? And it's not saying plop. There's not a, there's not a, a this than that, you know? Um, it's kind of an image of noise, sort of. What it does for me that I really like is that it takes the sound created by the frog jumping in water and just makes it more because it's not the sound of water, it's the fact of the sound. It de-links it from being a specific watery sound, which in the other translation that's less specific where it says plop, it's onomatopoetic. It is the sound of water made word. Whereas here it's a frog jumps in the water, the sound. And so in the way that the sort of less effective translation says a deep resonance, this is a much more effective way of doing the same thing where it's pointing you towards the deeper meaning of a frog jumping into a pond, but it's doing it by showing you rather than telling you. And what it shows you is instead of saying, ah, this is a water sound, it says what this frog did is make a sound. And that has more room for bigger meaning to come into it than just the sound of water. 
Hey everybody, this is Jack. If you've been listening along with Haiku Week, you know that in our first episode we talked about the Renga, the linked verse form from which the Haiku evolved, and that Connor and I have been writing our own Haiku Week Renga going back and forth, adding to it every day. So now, as of day five, here is our Haiku Week Renga. Spotting Brooklyn blossoms from the plains, a snowless white as snow. The air is cold with pine. Or is it juniper? And does it matter? A raven pines for the needle to move on the sun's seething hot reply. A long walk and a quick stop. Cold chocolate spring. No one else likes sweet tang, chocolate chips, orange sherbet, solitude. The man on the train says Romulus killed his brother, a long way from 6 a.m. All Roads Lead to Lupin was a memoir I never wrote, or maybe fanfic. Spelly arms and fried stupid, I'm witched into stunning, wizarded a world away. Certain alphabets bake dry in the oven without oil or legs. I etch my displeasure one minute at a time. Hey everybody, Jack here again. Thank you so much for listening to this fifth episode of Haiku Week. We're going to be back again tomorrow, and episode six is going to continue our conversation about translation and continue our discussion of this famous Basho poem. If you have enjoyed the episodes in this series, or if you like any of our other episodes from our usual format where we read a poem, talk about the poem, and then read the poem again, or if you have different readings of poems or different thoughts on any of the subjects we've covered, we would love to hear from you. You can reach out to us by email. Our email address is closetalkingpoetry at gmail.com, or you can find us on social media. Our Facebook is facebook.com slash close talking. On Twitter, we are at close talking. I am at Jack Rossiter Munn, and Connor is at Hot Sauce Boxed. You can also find us on our newly active Instagram account at Close Talking Poetry. We look forward to hearing from you, and we'll see you again tomorrow.